When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Good Saturday morning. Back together again, seven minutes after the hour. It's Ashley Frasca. You're listening to WSB. You know all of that. And this is Green and Growing here with you in studio. Live until 9 o'clock this morning. And it's kind of a special treat today. Uh, Dave Baker will be broadcasting uh, off-site. He will be at Clark Howard's Habitat for Humanity build here in the metro Atlanta area. And Clark is sponsoring homes 89 and 90. He's been at this a while, and his generosity has made such a difference for 89 and 90 families in metro Atlanta. So Dave Baker and Clark together again. They have so much fun broadcasting together, the two of them. Um, from 9 to noon for the Home Fix-It show. So that's going to be fun. I'm going to pop over there at some point this morning. Uh, But love being here this morning. Hope you want to be a part of the show as well. 404-872-0750 is the number to get on the show and ask your questions or share your knowledge with us. I always, always encourage you to do that. So if you haven't been, you may want to check out uh, two different places where you can get more green and growing than you will ever even want to handle Uh, when we're not together on Saturday mornings. So if you're on Facebook, search Green and Growing WSB, and you'll be able to uh, like or follow the page there. I do a lot of things, hopefully interactive things as well, for us to kind of learn together. One of my favorites right now this time of year, and maybe you've heard me mention it, is uh, when you go to photos and search albums, like look at the albums. It's an older album, but uh, I keep it up to date. It's Highway Horticulture. And this is the prime time of year for the reason why I keep up with that photo album. And as we're seeing trees come into bloom and flowering bushes and things that you may not know what they are, that's why I started it was because Walter Reeves helped me along. You know, every week that was my homework assignment. I would see something that I, I wasn't sure what it was. He and I would identify it together. I would learn a little more about it. So uh, that's really going to be helpful for you with all these beautiful trees that are in bloom now. You'll know what you're looking at. And then also weed of the week. Unfortunately, that one is coming back. Uh, You know, we've had some weeds, of course, over the winter time, but nothing like what we're getting ready to experience now. Spring into summer, uh, your lawns, you know, especially fescue lawns may have looked nice and green with not too many weeds in the colder months, now all of a sudden, henbit and all of these other things are just popping up like crazy. So this way, uh, you'll be able, and most of the pictures were taken in my yard. Yeah, I'll admit that. So this way, you'll be able to see what weed you have, identify it, and then in the captions of each photo, I give you at least, you know, ways to treat it. Um, but having a broadleaf herbicide, just a broadleaf uh, weed spray on hand in the garage, in the garden shed is always going to be a really good thing for you. Those are selective a lot of times. So they're going to, you know, 
come in contact with and kill broadleaf weeds, but they don't hurt grass blades, something, you know, completely different. And this is the time of year. We spent a little more time talking about it two weeks ago, but it is not too late. You still have weeks to do it. Uh, Laying down a pre-emergent herbicide. So what that is, it's a granular. You buy it in a big bag. You may need to buy two bags. I think one bag may generally cover about, I don't know, 5,000 square feet of your yard. There's a smaller bag that may cover only 1,500 um, but put it in a spreader, put it down. So a pre-emergence herbicide is what you're going to put down now, make sure it gets watered in, maybe do it day before it rains. And that is going to, the 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 weeds that come up in the spring, all those seeds are just hanging out below the soil level, just waiting to start, you know, getting enough heat, getting enough moisture to where they're going to bloom. And we want to get ahead of that. So a pre-emergence herbicide waits till those weed seeds germinate, and then it's able to knock them out. So you're not going to get 100% prevention but at least, you know, close. So this is the proper timing and the appropriate timing to do that. I hope you do that. Um, and the second way to find me, other than the Facebook page, for those of you who don't have fa- Facebook, I've heard from you quite often. Um, I'm not on Facebook. And, and other than, you know, listening to your show on Saturday mornings, what do we do? Well, now you go to wspradio.com slash green and growing. And uh, there I'm finally... Uh, with the help of our digital team, kind of keeping up with the website there. So you can listen to the podcasts. You can listen to um, other hours of previous shows. And I kind of tell you there what the shows were about, what our topics were that we covered. Um, and then also material that is from my newsletter that I put out every other Friday. So it came out yesterday. For those of you that used to get Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardner newsletter, you now get mine. Um, and Walter will be weighing in on my newsletter as well. But articles that I'm writing, questions that I get from you all with photos, um, whether it's identifying, you know, a disease or a plant or something like that. Um, and then one, one of the parts that I'm most proud of, and, and this is really a big part of why I wanted to start doing the show, was to engage new people, new gardeners, people that are new to Atlanta, anything like that. Younger gardeners that, you know, used to maybe think it was a little too intimidating or didn't have an interest This is the part I'm most proud of, that I really have good connections and have made friends with so many folks who have garden organizations and groups throughout the uh, city, and they want to share opportunities with you just like I do. So classes and garden opportunities there under Green and Growing Events on on that website. Um, Just fun stuff that's going on. For example, the Spring Volunteer Sign-Up Festival at Kennesaw Mountain National Battle Park Field. Um, They're always, or Battlefield Park, uh, they're always looking for new volunteers, so they're actually having a festival to recruit volunteers, but that's going to be a fun event, March 26th. Um, the Spring Flower Fest at Callaway, Daffodil Color Fest at Gibbs Gardens up in the ball ground area. Just so many things going on, especially now that we're getting out of COVID back into time, uh, the time of year for fairs and festivals and all of us to be outside together. Just things to go do on the weekend with the family if you if you had no other plans or what are we going to do tomorrow? Well, these are always things that you can uh, do together. So I'm going to keep this up to date. And the very first one on the list is uh, the Marietta Tree Keepers Free Trees. They're giving away free saplings today from 9 to noon at the Farmer's Market there on the Marietta Square. And uh, you can meet me. I'll be there at 10 o'clock. I need to give myself enough time to get done with the show at 9 o'clock and uh, maybe eat a little bit. But get there at 10 o'clock. And I'm so proud of what they're doing. They're doing that for Arbor Day, which, you know, Georgia Arbor Day was a couple of weeks ago, but this is their big event. And you don't have to be a Marietta resident to come get a free sapling. Um, they've got some really good little trees that you're going to be happy to establish in your landscape. If you're worried about planting a sapling or how to take care of it, 
They're going to give you all the info you need. So I'll be hanging out with the Marietta Tree Keepers for a little bit. And Christy Bryant from Speaking for the Trees. She has been on the show before and she'll be there as well. So that's going to be a good time. 404-872-0750. In just a minute, I have tickets to give away for something kind of fun in just a minute. But first, because she is bright-eyed, bushy-tailed at 10 after 6 on a Saturday morning, it's Annette in Marietta. Good morning, Annette. Good morning, Ashley. I just finished watching, I just finished listening to O'Neill. I can't get my Saturday going without O'Neill, so that's why I'm up and awake. But I've I've always loved raspberries. My grandmother had them in Pennsylvania. I know this is Georgia, but I've wanted to grow them for a long time because they're so expensive in the store. And if I can be successful, then I'll have them for myself. Mm -hmm. And if I can do it right, then maybe I can sell my produce. So I I bought the plant. I bought the, the, the potted raspberry bush. From Pike, I guess it was um, Wednesday, so it's been four days, uh-huh. and uh, I want to know precisely the best way to plant it in the ground, um, and um, and then I want to hear everything you have to say about my red raspberry bush. Perfect. Okay, so Pike is a good place to get it, and, and I say that not just because they sponsor the show, Annette, but also because they have a lifetime guarantee on trees and shrubs. And yes, blackberries and raspberries count as a shrub. So this is, you have nothing to lose. If you plant it and it dies or something goes wrong with it, they will replace it for you. So you're off to a good start there. Um, All berries like acidic soil, right? And our soil is naturally acidic, given that we have that Georgia red clay. Um, But you can mix in the, when you dig out the hole for it, mix it in with pike, azalea, and camellia soil which that has just a little more, you know, of what the acidic-loving plants like. Um, full sun, for sure, when it's starting to get established, but it can take partial sun as well. Just keep that in mind. An area that's getting full sun now is not going to get as much, you know, as once the uh, the trees start to leaf out and all of that, but a mostly full sun spot. And regular watering, um, and this is with most plants, you know, they don't like what you hear people say, wet feet. They don't like for the roots to sit in wet soil, but they do need to be regularly watered. And that goes for tomatoes, too. That's just a plant that's really, really picky and can't handle, you know, being made to just completely dry out. And then you scramble and go, oh, no, I've got to hurry up and water it. And then you overwater it, and then it rains a few days later, and then it's too much water. So you have to be kind of regular about that. Um, mulch is always a good idea with any plant to go ahead and suppress the weeds, make sure the roots have the best little non-competitive, you know, environment there in the soil. Um, and then you're not at the point where you'll have to worry about pruning yet. That's going to be a couple of years. So just let it grow and start to kind of train it if you need to, you know, if you're going to need to string it up or rope it up to something like that, you should be good to go. Keep in mind that pike, azalea, and camellia soil and then the same goes for when you're fertilizing. To wait till it starts to get leaves on it before you fertilize it. It's a little too early now, but you're going to help it along as it starts to really leaf out with a fertilizer. And the same thing goes. It's acidic loving, just like camellias and azaleas and rhododendrons. So that's the fertilizer you're going to lean oh, to as well. Okay. Okay. Before, could I, okay. I just want to, one, okay. That, that's perfect. Okay. I want to just ask one thing. Uh-huh. Now, I, my truck is, it's down, so I can't get back to Pike easily. Okay. Um, but I have lots of, I have lots of um, hellebores. Would that, you know, 
in ground already and they're doing beautifully is that would that be considered the acidic soil um, you know it's like had lots of leaves and it's real rustic you know just like a regular you know woodsy kind of thing would that be enough acidic soil i could use some of that soil yeah. yeah, like I said, I mean, you know, we do already have an acidic soil as it is with the Georgia red clay. So, yeah, you're still going to be fine if you don't start it off with that. That's just a little boost. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, if, if I mean, hellebores don't necessarily like or dislike acidic soil. But as long as you know that soil is good and you've already got something thriving in it, that's probably going to be fine. And, okay. too, this is important when people think about blueberry bushes they know they have to have a couple so they can pollinate fruit trees you think about that too the good thing about raspberries and i hope someone at pike told you this annette they're self-pollinating so they can yeah, yeah so they don't depend as much on the bees to transfer pollen from a different variety plant over here to that one since they self-pollinate you have better uh, better odds of success there yeah oh actually i didn't tell you Screener, but I have one more question. Well, Anne or Annette, I'm going to have to put you on hold because I've got something I need to do really quickly. And then when we come back from the break, we will do that for you. Um, wanted to, to let you guys know this is something that was new to me. I had not heard of the Georgia Pinners Conference. So this is an event where Pinterest comes to life for those of you who like Pinterest. And they're coming to Atlanta with more than 100 hands-on classes, hundreds of vendor shopping booths, It's going to be a really good time at the Cobb Galleria Center next weekend, next Friday and Saturday, March 11th and 12th. And you can win tickets for yourself and a family member or a friend, a pair of tickets right now. And if you don't win them, you can grab them online. The website is ga.pinnersconference.com. Don't forget that, ga.pinnersconference.com. So we'll see you there. The Cobb Galleria Center, again, next Friday and Saturday. And I'm giving away a pair of tickets right now. So you can call the regular number, 404-872-0750. And so the way that Ann knows you're calling for the Georgia Pinners Conference tickets and not just with a you know regular garden question for me, which you can certainly still call with those, is you tell Ann that she looks lovely today. And when you tell Ann that she looks lovely today, that's how she's going to know you're calling for the Pinners Conference tickets. She's going to get your name and your email address, and I will share those tickets with you so that you're able to enjoy that next Friday, Saturday. This pair of tickets gets you access to all of the classes they offer. I mean, there's DIY garden classes. There's all kinds of other things, which I don't really concern myself with the other things because gardening's where I'm, where that's where it's at. But um, yeah, you'll have access to uh, Friday and Saturday. That's going to be a fun little conference there at the Cobb Galleria Center. So call now, 404-872-0750. It looks like we have quite a few people calling. So I will be giving away another pair of tickets around 730. So if you don't get through this time, 730, you can listen again. Time to take a break and check traffic with Alex Williams in the 24-hour traffic center. We'll be back to green and growing on WSB. All right, the weather update for you brought to you by Finley Roofing today. WSB meteorologist Christina Edwards, partly cloudy today and tomorrow, but it's going to be beautiful. High of 76 today and almost 80 tomorrow. And then a chance for the rain to move in on Monday. Stay here on WSB. We'll keep you up to date. Now, Annette, if you can make it quick, I know you had a second question for me. What was it? About my blueberry bush. Uh-huh. I, I pruned the canes that were gone all the way up to 10 feet Mm -hmm. but uh, back in the fall but now there were some more i pruned those 
cannot propagate them by just scraping it and putting some root powder. You can certainly you know, try. Yeah, they're they're not dead canes, right? They're still alive. They're still green. Yes. Okay. Yeah, you could certainly try to do that. Absolutely. What Anne means, or Annette, I'm so sorry. I keep calling you Anne. Um, what Annette means by propagating them is yes, you take the cutting from a, a, a stem, a cutting from a viable plant, and you're able to maybe put some rooting hormone on the cut and make sure. But Annette, what may be better is trying to propagate it and turn it into a new plant um, when it does have some leaves on it. Because the leaves on the cutting are going to allow for photosynthesis and nutrition and all of that kind of thing. I think a cane with nothing on it probably is not going to do a whole lot of good. So wait and get a really good viable cane and cut it out um, when it's got when it's leafed out a little bit. And yeah, you have a small container of potting soil. It's clean, sterile potting soil. Uh, dab the cut end with a little bit of rooting hormone, and you can even create kind of a greenhouse type effect if you want to. Uh, using like a two-liter bottle. You can look at how that's done on WalterReeves.com. That way it's kind of like a little greenhouse where it stays humid and nice and moist for that cutting to uh, develop roots and, and do what it needs to do. I think it's time to take a break. We'll check the news, weather, and traffic, and we'll be back with a special about bluebirds here on Green and Growing. Thanks for listening this morning. with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. So with the advent of social media and even just Google and different calendars telling you things, you realize that we have a day for everything, right? National Margarita Day was a few days ago. I think National Chocolate Cake Day. And then there's a week for everything too, which I like as far as the garden realm and the environmental worlds go. Um, I think it's really neat to dedicate a week to different things just to make folks aware. And you may think, ah, oh, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not interested in that. But but I'm, I'm going to make you care a little bit just because I'm going to share with you what I learn. And then maybe it'll change your habits or change your way of thinking when you're planting things in the landscape. Uh, this past week just, that we just finished up or that we're finishing up now, uh, Invasive Species Awareness Week. And I think last year I kind of tipped my hat to that a little bit and had Dr. David Coyle from Clemson University and Forestry Health uh, talking about that. And so in just a little bit, we'll be talking to the Georgia Native Plant Society because the Georgia Native Plant Society would love nothing else than for you to plant natives and things, but really just kind of giving us a warning about what's considered invasive, why it is, and a couple of the plants that they actually featured on their Facebook page throughout the week of the things I have my arms crossed in a big X, like, no, things you don't want to do. So we're going to be talking about that here in just a little bit. But first, I want to go back to July 2020. Um, my show had only been on the air maybe for five months and one of the first people that I got to meet and interview and do a fun piece with was Jim Bearden uh, at Green Meadows Preserves in West Cobb County and met him through Mickey Gasaway. And he is in charge of the Bluebird Trail there at Green Meadows Preserve. And I had such a good day with him back two summers ago and wanted to bring that piece back because bluebirds are starting to nest now. So I want to encourage you to put up those bluebird houses, go buy one. They're only, you know, 15 to $20 if you don't have one. Um, but right here, Jim, my conversation with him from two years ago, he is going to empower you to make sure you do it right, you do everything right, and you're going to attract these lovely birds to your landscape, and you're going to be so glad you did. 
Green Meadows Preserve. Have you heard of it? It's in West Cobb County and off of Highway 120 for those of you that are Cobb County residents and maybe not. Maybe you've never heard of it. Well, I came along today and I want to introduce you to somebody, Jim Bearden. He has a vested interest in the Green Meadows Preserve and is the vice president of the Friends of Green Meadows. There's a lot of cool stuff being done here other than the walking trails, the 185-year-old Southern Red Oak acres of just natural beauty that you need to see. I want you to learn a little bit more about Jim's weekly tasks that he volunteers to do, watching and maintaining and keeping a close eye on 30 bluebird nesting boxes. When we identify a bluebird nest, what materials do they use? They like pine straw, and when it's available, that's their material of choice. Chickadees like uh, moss and hair. Uh, wrens like sticks and grass and hair. So you can always tell what species it is by the material they're using. Sometimes I go out here, and if I don't clean it fast enough, if I have a chickadee, I'll have a bluebird bill on top of it. And then if something happens and they don't lay their eggs, a wren will come in and build on top of that. Which parent is responsible for doing most of the construction? Both build the nest. Only the female can lay the eggs and only she can incubate the eggs. And while she's sitting on the eggs, the male feeds her. He brings her food. And then after they fledge, they are all responsible for feeding them because the babies, after they fledge, are not capable of feeding themselves for the first 30 days after they leave the nest. I guess we'll start with the courtship between the bluebirds. Well, the male is the one that finds the nest site, so he's the one that checks out the, uh, the nest box, and then he has a whole little song and, and flirtation uh, routine that he goes through. Once she decides that she wants to move in with him, then they start building a nest, and normally it takes uh, about a week and then once she starts laying eggs, she lays one egg a day, up until five or six eggs, so usually it's four to five, that's the norm brood. She takes a break, goes and finds insects and exercises, because once she starts incubating, she's confined to that box a lot. So once she starts sitting on the eggs, it takes her 12 days of sitting on the eggs to incubate them to hatch. And then once the eggs hatch, uh, they're very good housekeepers. They um, take all the shells out, all the waste sacks out. From the time they hatch, because they all hatch the same day, it takes 19 to 20 days for them to develop to the point that they can fledge and leave the nest. Once they leave the nest, they fly to a perch or then up into the trees. And then for the first 30 days after that, you see them out, you see little specks on their chest. And four or five of them will be lined up on the limb crying and begging for the parents to feed them, and the parents feed them. They're not born with the knowledge of how to feed themselves. So the parents have to teach them. And one quick question you mentioned earlier, how smart bluebirds are. What's maybe one thing people would be surprised to know about bluebirds? They don't want a neighbor. They don't want to see their neighbor. Uh, think of a football field. They don't want to be any closer than 100 yards to their neighbor. So I did a test site to try to help with the competition of the tree swallows and the bluebirds. Knowing I wouldn't get bluebirds in both, but I was hoping to get tree swallows in one and a bluebird in one. Bluebirds build a fake nest in one box, then built a real nest and laid their eggs and hatched their babies in the, the box next to it. So they're pretty smart. It's pretty cunning. One of the questions I always ask about bluebird houses, nest boxes such as this, 
Is it true they have to face a certain direction? They have to be mounted at a certain height? Is that true or false for just the standard homeowner? True. Should be six feet tall. Um, should always face east because we get less bad weather out of the east. And then we get the morning sun so they can warm up in the mornings after a cool night. We're encouraging people to put up correct nest boxes in their yards so that we have more places for them to go and make nests and reproduce. And what varieties of bluebirds do we see here in Georgia? Just one kind? The eastern bluebird. And their territories from Canada all the way to the northern part of Florida. The nesting season is like March to end of August. Then during the winter, they live in the trees. They don't migrate. The eastern bluebirds, they stay here. And today I came to Green Meadows Preserve. This is just natural beauty that you need to see. Undiscovered treasure. It's being discovered uh, recently, but it's a beautiful park. It's a passive park. It's meant for walking, uh, your dogs, uh, hiking. Just a gorgeous place to see a lot of birds and see a lot of plants and flowers and great place to have picnics and we just ask that you leave no trail behind, take everything with you that you bring in. So respect the park and uh, she'll take care of us for years to come. Happy trails to you, Jim, thanks. All right, thank you. Thanks for coming out. That was such a fun piece to do and I'm really glad I learned a lot because I've had this bluebird box in my garage that I bought at Pike Nursery three years ago <laughs> and no bluebirds are nesting in it because it's been in the garage and I haven't hung it. So this weekend, the husband will hang it uh, off the ground, six feet up and facing east. And I've got bluebirds like crazy and mealworms at the feeder. So I know they're there. As you heard Jim say, they don't migrate. They hang around. So if you want to uh, go on one of these bluebird trail walk and talk tours that Jim does at Green Meadows Preserve, um, I will share the dates as those come up. But there's one scheduled for Saturday, April 2nd and Saturday, May 7th. Just a really easy walk, 10 to noon. And Jim is so happy to share his passion of bluebirds and the, the nests boxes that he's built and the really cool way he rigs them to keep uh, predators out. It's really, really a cool walk and a nice morning. So Saturday, April 2nd is the next one that comes about, part of the North American Bluebird Society as well. So my thanks to him. Now my next guest, Ellen Honeycutt from the Georgia Native Plant Society, um, this kind of lends itself to bluebirds a little bit. She and I were talking in preparation for the show because they stick around. We want to grow things that attract them, that are safe for them. And Ellen, good morning. Hey, good morning, Ashley. You mentioned to me, we were talking about bluebirds, which is so cool, by the way. I got your message that you checked your bluebird box and you already have two eggs out there? Yeah, actually, I checked it yesterday. Now I'm up to three. I guess they... Add one each day. Gosh, that's incredible. So see, this is really the time they start to nest. And, and that couple got, got busy in a hurry, but we have a few months for that. But you mentioning to me what you know about bluebirds is they eat insects. And that all goes back to the importance of what we plant and why we plant the things we do. We've got to draw those beneficial insects to then feed the birds that we want to keep around, right? Exactly. They are insectivores as adults, and of course they feed bugs to their babies as well. So that is so important. So Ellen and I want to talk to you about, like I mentioned, Invasive Species Awareness Week was this past week, and you all with the Facebook page did an excellent job of, you know, each day featuring one. Um, of course, Bradford Pear, which we have talked ad nauseum about on this show, not to plant it. A lot of them are already established, but people are actually digging them up. 
Um, English ivy, we'll certainly touch on that. Japanese honeysuckle, mimosa trees, which we'll see in the summertime more than the now, um, and china berry. So y'all are on a really good campaign as the Native Plant Society to get these invasives out. Why are they a threat? Well, invasive plants are non-native plants, first of all, that are capable of reproducing and spreading on their own such that they outcompete other plants. And so it's really an issue of competition. Invasive plants don't actually improve biodiversity by, by landing there. They actually reduce it because they take over the area. And the reason that they don't help our bluebirds is that very few of our native insects can use them. So they won't be using them to make more insects like our native plants do. And then that will reduce the food for bluebirds. And bluebirds will just naturally nest uh, fewer times and have fewer eggs. Yeah, see, I mean, the, the ripple effect, really, of something that you've you've put in your yard, or maybe it was already there, like with me, uh, Hydra Helix, you know, English Ivy, it was already there, but not near what it was when we moved in 10, 11 years ago, and now I feel the burden's on me to remove as much of that as I can and replace it with things that are native or things that will attract, you know, the right uh, insects and the right birds that are native to Georgia. You know, we want to keep them happy and keep them fed. So y'all do a great job of making folks aware of that. Um, talk about some of those invasive ones that I mentioned and which ones are the biggest pains for people. Well, actually, the biggest pain of all is privet oh, yeah. um, because it is so adaptable. It can actually go into shady areas, wet areas, sunny areas, and and reproduce and increase the spread. Uh, so that's our worst one. And then surprisingly, Japanese honeysuckle uh, is number two. And it's surprising because not as many people notice it. We're just so used to seeing mm-hmm. it um, that we don't even realize it's there. But uh, what we try to do also is make people w- aware of new plants that are becoming invasive. And in Atlanta, the one we featured yesterday, Japanese chafe flower, yeah. has uh, really gotten a hold inside the perimeter. What does that look uh, like? I had never even heard of that. It's, a, it's a more like a perennial, so it's not a tree or a shrub. And it has uh, nice deep green leaves. They are opposite one another. And then it has very insignificant flower spikes that pop up. You almost don't even realize it's blooming. And uh, it's gotten into Atlanta shady areas and uh, it's just popping up. I was in Atlanta a couple years ago and the homeowner had one just right at the street uh, with their inside their other plantings and they didn't oh. even know it was there. And it's a Japanese chafe, chafe flower? Yes. C-H-A-F-F. Oh, my gosh. See, we always have to be on the lookout for something. If it's not an invasive plant, it's an invasive pest that Dr. David Coyle talks to us about from time to time. 
I'm from Clemson. If you don't mind, Ellen, stay around right there because when we come back, I want you to maybe suggest some native plants, two or three, that would be good and easy for folks, easily accessible, they can plant in their garden, that are great alternatives in the direction we want to go. But first, we got to get a check on traffic and weather, and we'll be back also with the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend on WSB. Listen to the show however you choose. I'm just glad you do. We're here till 9 o'clock this morning, 404-872-0750. The weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Partly cloudy, but it's going to be nice today and tomorrow. Highs in the mid to upper 70s and then rain in the forecast on Monday. Time to do this. Green, Green and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. We get right back to Ellen with some native plant ideas. But first, number one, I want you to prune fruit trees and grapes. We're getting on the tail end of when you're able to do that. But after the worst of the winter cold has passed and before the spring growth begins. Number two, you can plant kale and collards and broccoli one more time because we still have enough time for them to mature before it gets too hot. They prefer soil temperatures between 65 and 75 degrees. And number three, lay down some mulch. you got to stay one step ahead of weeds by smothering them as they're starting to grow. Two to three inches of mulch, just a two to three inch layer thick uh, level of mulch. That's sufficient, and don't mulch right up against your trees. Always want to remind you of that. Okay, so Ellen, I want to give you the floor and give us some ideas of native plants that are going to be attractive. Well, for the metro Atlanta area, a couple of good ideas are, I'm going to name two shrubs first so that we can replace our privet. Uh, Number one is spicebush. Spicebush is a nice large shrub with a very spicy aroma, and it's just getting ready to bloom. So it's one of our earliest, and it makes caterpillars and butterflies because it's the host plant for the beautiful spicebush swallowtail butterfly. Nice. And then if you have females, you'll have gorgeous red berries that the birds will eat faster than you can notice them. Okay. So those are that's great. Another good one for birds is a spring bloomer. Also, red buckeye will bring hummingbirds to your garden because they love those flowers. Big red tubular flowers, perfect for hummingbirds. And then they have buckeye nuts in the fall. Okay. And then a couple of perennials. One of them, well, two of them actually that people just already know, and they might not even realize they're native, and that is black-eyed Susans and purple coneflowers. Yeah. They do great in the sunny garden, very adaptable, and they're perennial, so you'll have them for years to come. And then the last one I want to mention is my favorite. It's actually the first native plant that I ever recognize, and that is orange butterfly weed or milkweed. Oh, yeah. And it is tough as nails. I, I first saw it growing along the side of the road. So it can take hot, dry conditions. And, of course, it supports monarch butterflies and small bees. That is so perfect. Listen, thank you so much. And your expert list right there I'll be sharing on my Facebook page, too. Will you come back on the show sometime? Oh, absolutely. Would love to. I am so glad we connected this week. How fantastic. So to avoid those invasive species and things we don't want, Take those out, get rid of them, and plant some of these. Thank you so much, Ellen Honeycutt of the Georgia Native Plant Society. Back with your calls, 404-872-0750. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.